The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. All right. I hear Duff is laying another one on us. Will it be an egg or will it be a pot of gold? I guess we're going to find out with Duff McKagan's joke of the week. Here we go. Hey, Chris Jericho, it's Duff McKagan calling you. I hope you're, hope you're good. I, I got a little issue. My uh, neighbor came at me aggressively uh, yesterday. She's asking me if I knew anything about uh, her underwear disappearing from the clothesline. I almost shit her panties. Thank you very much. Bye. I like that one, actually. It's pretty funny. It's uh, good, especially with this dry Duff delivery. Uh, the, the Triple D trademarked. Uh, Duff, check this out, has not missed calling in a joke of the week since August of 2017 when we started this. Not even when he was in the Philippines with Guns N' Roses or Christmas vacation with his family. He still called him in. He is a super brother, and even though Guns N' Roses are taking a break from the road right now, Duff is still crazy busy. He's got a solo album coming out this year that he wrote in lieu of writing another book. Uh, he wanted to write uh, about his experiences with Guns N' Roses, so he wrote a solo album about it. And he's also been working uh, on that record with Shooter Jennings, of course, Waylon Jennings' son. I'm sure he'll do more with Walking Papers. He did uh, Cover Up over New Year's. Uh, Duff is a busy guy. He loves playing rock and roll, maybe even a new loaded record with uh, ex-Fozzie bass player Jeff Rouse. Lots of stuff coming up from Duff. And, of course, the eternal question, anything more from Guns N' Roses? Maybe we'll find out. But most importantly, coming up from Duff, more jokes of the week for 2019. So I guess you guys, uh, as we move on, have heard all the big news about uh, All Elite Wrestling. And I just want you to know that next Wednesday... I'm going to tell you the entire story uh, from soup to nuts on how I ended up uh, going from WWE to New Japan to All Elite Wrestling and the plans that we have uh, from this new company. And it's going to be a great, great year for all Chris Jericho fans, all wrestling fans in 2019. So stay tuned for that on Wednesday. But for today on the show one of the hottest superstars in the WWE, the WWE's newest main eventer, newest top guy, 
Mustafa Ali. And uh, he's telling the story of his unbelievable meteoric rise from 205 Live to the main roster, like in the past three weeks. How he became one of the biggest WWE superstars and a new top guy almost overnight. He's also talking about his other gig that he did before he was wrestling, which was being a Chicago police officer uh, before his days wrestling full time. Got some crazy stories about what that was like. Uh, enough of my yak, and let's just get to it with Mustafa Ali. You're going to love this conversation right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so um, WWE, a very uh, awesome place and a very, not strange, but sometimes you'll see a guy just get the proverbial rocket attached to his ass in a very short time. And that's what happened to, uh, to Mustafa Ali, who's here with us today, the brand new main eventer on the WWE roster, seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's quite an introduction. Yeah, uh, I just kind of showed up, huh? And the second week, what, I pinned the WWE champion, Daniel Bryan? Yeah, rocket, rocket, right on the back. I, I have no idea how or why, or <laughs> but here we are. So so tell me, because you've been working 205 Live for a couple years, and like I said, this happens sometimes. It happened. It happens to almost everybody at some point when if you're putting on good matches and working hard, one day Vince will walk past the monitor and see something and go, geez, why aren't we pushing this guy? I mean, what right. was it like for you? How were you told what happened? So honestly, I didn't know anything. Like you said, I've been working 205 since its inception. And like, it, it wasn't that like Vince was ignoring the product. It just, it was 205, you know? So right the situation with us is like, we're, we're always put in a tough spot, but he does see, and he does hear about it. And I've had conversations with him about me about two Oh five. So it wasn't that he wasn't just aware, like all of a sudden, like who the hell is this guy, you know? Mm -hmm. But literally I, I, I come to the arena and, um, initially it was like, Hey, uh, you're not working two Oh five tonight. And I, and I knew that because I was talking to the writer before, and I was actually told like, Hey, you're going to have a few weeks off. We just don't have anything for you on TV for two Oh five. So, I'm thinking, all right, I got the next three to four weeks off, probably start of the new year, I'll be doing something. So I'm kind of showing up at TV just hanging out, and they're like, hey, you're working SmackDown tonight. I go, oh, okay. They go, and you're working Daniel Bryan, and you have a promo with him too, and it's three segments. I'm like, okay. And I'm kind of blowing off this writer. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He goes, no, I'm being serious. Like, they need, they, they need you, you know, right now, like, go, go. I'm like, is he confusing me for somebody? Like, what is going on? <laughs> and then I find out. And that day I'm told, hey, this is just a one-time deal. We kind of want to see what happens with it. But, you know, it, it, it's just a one-time deal. We're going to give 205 the rub. Uh, Brian wants to work with you. So it was all, I was obviously honored, you know. Um, and, and I went out there and I, and I did my thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was told it was a one-time deal. I'm like, okay, cool. And show up to TV the next week. Hey, when you get in, go see Road Dog, Brian James. And uh, Road Dog's the one that tells me. He's like, hey, uh, we're taking you off of 205. Uh, you're permanently on SmackDown now. And you're teaming with AJ Styles tonight. And you guys are working the main event against uh, Andrade and Daniel Bryan. And you're uh, you're, you're getting the win on, on Bryan. So obviously, you go from hearing that, you know, you're off for the next four weeks to you're working a main event program, SmackDown. And... I'm just staring Brian like dead face. I'm like, I, who's ribbing me? Like, where's the camera? You know? <laughs> yeah. That's how I found out, man. It was all, it was all very like at the moment. Like, and I don't know if it was a test or I don't know if it was like, Hey, let's just throw them in the water and see what happens. Not just the water, the deep end. 
you know? Yeah, um, and, and that's kind of the, the style of, of WWE. I remember one time when I first had gotten there, I was doing a lot of uh, favors, shall we say, losing a lot. Yeah. And I was walking, I showed up uh, somewhere and I was working with Viscera, and losing and I just I snapped and I was going to walk to Vince's office and demand that you know you, I, I get a, a better push or I'm going to quit and as I was yeah. walking there I saw one of the writers and I told him what I was going to do he says well you might not want to go do that because um, <laughs> you know after you do the Vistler match or uh, sorry Vistler was the week before and he said today you're going to win the world title from Triple H and you're kind of like, what? Like last week I'm losing to Vistra. This week I'm beating Triple H for the title. But that's yeah. how the company works. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, someone uh, someone asked me, they said, how, how, when did you know about it? I was like, I didn't. And they go, yeah, because the last time we saw you compete, it was at Survivor Series, and you, you lost the Cruiserweight Championship match. But right. then the next time we see you, you're wrestling the WWE Championship. So it's, it's just kind of like you have no idea where you're at sometimes until you, you get there and you find out what the show is. Yeah, and like I said, it's 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 the culmination of of a lot of hard work, and obviously, uh, you mentioned that that Daniel Bryan had wanted to work with you. I mean, maybe he went and vouched for you or something along those lines. There is so I, and I and I I won't I'll never put words in anyone's mouth, but there's so many like inclinations that I'm having that he's he's got more to say about it than than he's letting on. Right. I mean, just for a guy to get plucked out of two hundred five. And get put with him in a program, and then you know, attacking me backstage uh, after my second week on or third week on SmackDown. You know, it's like it's all very like him. You know what I mean? Like, sure. um, and and man, what a what a guy to learn from. You know, I can't say enough good things about him. But yeah, I, I, I have, he'll he'll never like come out and say it to me. I think I have a strong feeling that he's more involved than he's letting on. You know, it's interesting too because if you're looking at like size wise, you're you're just as big as Daniel Bryan is. You know, I mean, th that's one thing I always kind of laughed about with 205 Live. It's like, in a lot of ways, what's the difference between the guys on 205 and guys like Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins? And, you know, the, the style is all very similar. Right. And, and, and it's funny that, you know, we're talking about Daniel, too, because he had pointed out in the early stages of 205 that that itself was the problem. He said, what is the difference between 205 and it, when Cedric does a dive mm -hmm. versus when Seth Rollins does a dive? He's like the same style is still being applied on the quote unquote main roster shows, but what, what is the real difference? We're, we're presenting these guys at cruiserweight, so either take off all of the chains and just let them go so they actually stand out. Because at the end of the day, if we're not getting the same amount of production or time or presentation, then what is the difference? Yeah, I mean, when I think back to when when you know WCW, there was the cruiserweight division. I mean, when you're talking about headliners like you know Hall and Nash and Luger and Hogan and the Giant and Savage and Sting and all these really big guys, and then you have your Rey Mysterios and Hoover Two Guerreros and Eddie Guerrero Guerreros and Dean Malenko's and those type of things, um, there is a, a distinct size and style difference. With 205, right. there really wasn't much of either because, like I said, size-wise, I mean, Seth Rollins and Mustafa Ali and Cedric Alexander and Daniel Bryan all pretty much in the same right. category. Right. You know, one of the one of the funny lines I actually like that uh, Daniel Bryan said in our promo. He said uh, he made fun of me for driving an SUV, and he asked why such a small man like myself uh, <laughs> needs to drive an SUV. But we're standing literally eye to eye, and I'm like, uh. 
Um, and you know, like, yeah, you talked about size, but I think the the, the biggest issue, uh, other than style and size, was the initial time slot for 205 because we were going on after SmackDown, mm-hmm. and that's literally like the opening act going on after the headliners, right? You know, I remember standing in Gorilla next to Arya Davari one time, and we're watching the main event of SmackDown because we're going to go out after it, and it's John Cena versus Randy Orton in a two out of three falls match. And we're just looking at each other like, we have, right. <laughs> what are we going to do, you know? <laughs> um, and it's after the fact, you know, now that they moved us before SmackDown and now that's taped, it's a whole different world now, you know, because these fans are ready, they're fresh, they just want to see wrestling now, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, we still have to work to get them. But, you know, if, if you've been watching the, the main event of 205 Live, and I fully vouch for I still fully believe in it, it always delivers. That main event is always killer. It's a good 15 to 20 minute match and it just, they, they tear it down. Let's talk about that a little bit, a little bit further. So, when you first came in to WWE, um, it was for the the uh, what was it called? Was it called the Cruiserweight Classic? Or was it? Yeah, called? yeah. Initially, it was a Cruiserweight Classic. Right. Yeah, it was a tournament. So, so it was a tournament, uh, uh, and, and you were like a last minute replacement, from what I remember. Is that correct? Yeah, and man, it was such a like, you know, um, WWE like did like a little like mini doc thing for me um, like a week ago, and. I didn't realize how much this story hit with a lot of people because I got like I got like bombarded with messages about like how inspirational the story was and like when it happens to you you don't think that it's inspirational you're like this sucks. Um, <laughs> what happened was you know like any guy on the indie scene I I've been I've been wrestling for like 16 years like everyone thinks I'm like this like new young like like yeah, I'm 32 I've been at it for 16 years I just I just couldn't get to that next level you know i had like one match with ring of honor I, anytime something international came up like it didn't happen you know mm-hmm. um so when the cruiserweight class this is like this is my last shot you know and i had a tryout in uh 2013 for wwe and they just said no They're like hey like we like your work but you're just aesthetically you're not what we're looking for you don't have size you don't really stand out there's not really something that we feel that you can we can plug you into so we're, you know it's, it's a no so now i'm like oh you know, where, where do I go? What do I right. do? When the Cruiserweight Classic uh, comes calling, I talk to Regal and, you know, he tells me about the tournament and about how it's going to work. And stuff. So, all right, Cruiserweight, obviously keep this hush-hush until we um, announce it, of course. So, obviously, you tell people close to you, like your friends and your family and whatnot. So, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for it. And they, they announce the tournament and they release the list of all the participants. And my name isn't on the list. Mm. And I freaked. I'm like, what? Did I do something? Did I not forget to submit something? I thought I signed all the paperwork. And I and I call and I find out that, oh, you're not in the tournament. You're just a backup. You're an alternate. Wow. If someone gets hurt or can't make it, then you might be in the tournament. But there's also ten other alternates. Wow. So I'm like, yeah. I was like, what? you know, egg on your face. Like, you know, you've been training. You're trying to get ready. New gear. You just be. Honestly, I just I remember. I, it's funny because I, I I vividly remember the day because it was, it was a terrible day. I was I was building patio furniture in my backyard, and after I got off the phone with uh, Rigo, my wife came out and she just knew. She's like, "What happened?" I was like, "I I feel like an idiot. Like I really thought I had a shot, and now I don't." So obviously, I still go, you know, and I have this chip on my shoulder. I'm like, "Man, if they if if for whatever reason they they crack that door open an inch, I'm gonna kick this damn thing down," you know. Mm-hmm. And the door cracked open. Uh, one of the wrestlers couldn't make it. I don't know visa issues or he didn't want to make it or whatever. But I took that opportunity, and they go, "You have five minutes first round with Lince Dorado. Uh, you're losing, um, and then see you later." Okay, cool. And 
uh, Lindsay Dorado and I go way back. He, he's a fantastic uh, performer, and we just went out there. We, you know, we said we got five minutes. We got to make them talk about us in five minutes somehow. Mm-hmm. Did that, and then I think because they saw how you know hungry I was for it and how you know detailed I was because uh, I believe the producer for the match was uh, uh, Sarah Del Rey. She's one of the um, yep. PC uh, trainers down there. Mm-hmm. So I think she can kind of tell like I was talking about like camera angles and like what's what's the best corner to do this out of or whatever like that. Um, I got invited back to do some NXT work, and you know it was you know NXT 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 just like enhancing stuff. And it got to the point where, like, you know, my friends that were in the Cruiserweight Classic are getting signed. Right. And, you know, they're talking about contracts. Nothing for me. Eventually, I see Hunter at a TV taping. And I'm like, I got to shoot my shot, man. He's he's seen me, like, five times, you know. So I walk up to him, and I go, hey, like, you know, I, I hope this isn't, like, too blunt. But you've seen me, like, five, six times, man. You you know when you know. You know, like, wh- right. what's the deal with me? Do you not... And, you know, he's being nice, and he's like, oh, there's so many dogs, there's so many bones, and I can only give up so many bones. Like, you know, be patient, keep working, this and that. And I was like, all right, he's just giving me the plight, like, get lost, kid. Yeah. Talk, you know? A week later, I got a call. Hey, we'd like to sign you in a deal. Da, da, da. We're going to do this. Um, we're going to start a cruiserweight division, and uh, we'd like you to be a part of it. So it literally, like, we, you know, we talked about, like, SmackDown, me just showing up. Exact same thing. I just kind of went up and asked for it. You know what I mean? I, I, I... But that's, I, I went from being the backup to like getting a deal, you know. But that's how it goes, though. Once again, had you not gone and said something to him, you know, there's so many guys. Like to Hunter's credit, there are so many quote unquote dogs and so many bones, but for you to go up and talk to him, it takes yeah. a lot of guts to do that. But you have to do those sort of things to get noticed. Yeah, and, and, and it wasn't like me being a hard ass, like, "Hey, man, like I deserve." It. it wasn't that at all. It was like. It was kind of me, like, just, just just, let me know if I'm not good enough. You know, like, the, right. the, the tone was like, can you just let me know? Am I wasting my time here? Like, if, if, if there's no way ever that it'll happen, I can take it. Just just tell me, you know? Sure, and that sure. would have been that then, you know? But I think, I don't know if he had known already or or what, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I fully believe that that conversation helped get me where I'm at today. Was it... Um... Because uh, another thing, too, is they were going for a real kind of worldwide lineup. And Mustafa Ali, what is your what is your background? So my dad is from Pakistan. Okay. My mom is from India. And I was born uh, here in uh, the States. Gotcha. So, so I have a, you know, I have a nice little multicultural background. <laughs> which is what they're looking for, too, especially with Pakistan. I think, are you the only Pakistani wrestler that we know of? Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's in WWE. I'm the only one of a, a Pakistani background. <laughs> First one ever. <laughs> so let me ask you this: When you're gonna go and and pick a name, and you choose Mustafa Ali, you know, in this day and age, instantly you're thinking like kind of like some kind of a terrorist type of a gimmick. Mm-hmm. What was that cat's name yeah. that was here back in the 2000s with uh, Davari's brother, uh, Muhammad? Muhammad Hassan and uh, Sean Devari. Yeah, there you go. So, like, Mustafa Ali. Now, you, right. you're, you're picking this name. This is not your actual name. So, yep. what's your mindset in, in, in choosing that name? So, you know, everything you said initially, that's exactly what I wanted to avoid when I first started out wrestling. And this is kind of like, um, it kind of shows you how, like, screwed up society is. When I started wrestling, I was 16. Mm-hmm. You know, I, young, I love, I love wrestling. I want to entertain people, all this stuff. And I go and I get trained, and when it's, you know, when they, you know, decide, like, hey, you're ready for the match, and you guys start thinking about a character, I was thinking, like, you know, this guy and this guy, and they go, no, 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 you're a Muslim. you got to be a bad guy. 
<laughs> what do you mean I have to do that? I'm like, no, we're going to call you Sheik Abdullah something, something, and you're going to come out with a, you know, a vest that looks like a, you have a bomb on. You're going to, you're oh going to threaten gosh. this and you're, you're going to drag the American flag. And I was ter- like, not terrified in the sense of like, you know, someone's going to hurt me. Terrified in the sense of like, that's this, like, no, I don't want to do that. Right. And I was in high school when 9-11 happened. Mm. So I didn't get like, I didn't get bullied. Like I didn't get like treated differently, but I definitely felt people looked at me differently. And it was a time, you know, when 9-11 happened, obviously it affected everybody. It affected me, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an American, you know, like, and I'm like, oh my God, people died. Like, this is terrible. This is evil. So we would have these classroom discussions and people were encouraged to talk freely. And I always remember like kids were like kids. My, my friends were like, we got to go overseas and we got to kill all of them, kill all the Muslims. And I'm like, and I'm sitting right next to them. And I'm like, holy, like, and I didn't get mad at them because I could understand their mindset. I was like, they're tuning into the TV and all they're seeing is anyone that has a Muslim-like name that looks like a Muslim is presented as evil. So they're going to associate that with bad, evil. I was like, man, I don't want to push that agenda and be a part of that. So I, I refused to do that type of character initially. I, I was like, hey, I love I love high-flying. I love Lucha Libre. Can I, can I just put on a mask and pass myself off as, as a luchador? So everyone's like, I mean, you're going to do what you want to do. So that's what I did for the first, you know, four or five years. I just I put on a mask. I try to pretend to be like, you know, this, uh, this luchador. And, <laughs> and, and obviously, like, the wrestling was fine, but there was no connection to the crowd. I was just a guy doing moves. You know, there was no, there was no real personality behind me. There's no connection. I actually ended up getting hurt. I broke my wrist, and I was out for a few months because I had to wear, like, a full-arm cast. It was silly. But I was just so frustrated with wrestling at that point because, like, you know, I'm not really breaking out of the local bubble. Everyone keeps telling me I don't have character. I need, you know, I need to work on this. And eventually I got conned, not conned, I got talked into. I, you know, the decision was my, myself. And, you know, it, it was a low point for me because I, I kind of, like, caved into the pressure. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll do the evil foreigner character and I'll just try it. Wow. So, yeah. you know, they're, 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 we want you to be a prince from Saudi Arabia. Come up with a name, you know. I was like, all right, Prince, Prince. Well, you know, Prince Ali, you know, people know that from Aladdin. Prince. Okay, Ali, well, I'm a big fan of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, Prince, no, I can't be Muhammad Ali. Mustafa, you know, I'm looking up uh, Mustafa. Mustafa's a royal name. Okay, Prince Mustafa. Okay, fine. So <laughs> Prince Mustafa Ali came up to, to that. And it, it, it's just like, it's an easier name for people to remember too, like Prince Ali. If you can't remember Mustafa, at least you remember Prince Ali. And man, it was a hit for this, like, because I'm, I'm from the Chicago indie scene, you know? Right. So instantly I come back and it's like, I'm getting bookings, I'm getting flown out, I'm cutting these terrible promos and all anti-America this, anti-America that. And it was so easy. So easy. Like, it, it came to the point where, like, I was like, man, this is, like, this is a joke. I can I can literally go out there and just speak a different language and make it up. And not even make sense, and they're gonna blow me out the building, and that's what happened every night, dude. Like I didn't, I had such a strong character that like the 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 work was obviously like became like a second concern of mine. Like it was just about the promo and like what I was gonna wear and how I could piss people off. And, and that's and I hated, yeah. But dude, I hated every second of it. Did you feel um, like you were selling out? To yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I felt like. It sounds really weird to say, but I kind of like fell out of love with wrestling for for a while while I was doing it. I was like, man, let me go do this, you know, like 
obviously I had love for it because I'm still doing it. I'm not, and it's not like I'm making a living off of it. I, you know, I still have a full-time job. I was, you know, I'm, I was still going to school and stuff like that, but this is obviously a dream of mine. I'm still chasing it. But like, I, I hated doing that character. I hated it. And the turning point for me was, uh, I was in Oak Forest, Illinois. Um, and I remember, uh, at some point in the match, the match had spilled outside and, um, there's a young kid. He must've been like six, seven, eight, something like that. And, uh, as I'm walking near the guardrail, he jumps out of his chair and he puts both of his fists up like he wants to fight, but not in like a, like he was playing like out of like fear or anger. And I remember looking dead into his eyes. He's this blonde hair, blue eye kid. And I was like, Holy crap. I just taught this kid to hate me mm-hmm. and to hate people that look like me. And it wasn't like, Oh no, brother, you're getting good. heat. no, this kid was like, you Muslim scum piece of, you know, like I saw it in his face and I was like, what am I doing, man? Like, I know this is a small indie show. I know no one's going to see this, but like that kid, he's going to go to high school with another kid that looks like me. You know what I mean? Like, and I was that kid in high school that had to sit there while everyone stood up and says, we should go overseas and kill them all. Like I'm pushing that agenda on this young mind. And yeah, like, you know, that might be a stretch, but like I felt it, you know? And I was like, I'm not doing this crap anymore, man. I'm I'm done with it. And that was the last time I did it. I was like, Hey, I'm just going to go by Mustafa Ali. I'm not saying anything negative about America because I don't have anything. I'm from America. You're American. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to make the crowd the heel. And they go, how are you going to do that? I was like, by not being a heel, I was like, I'm just going to come out and they're going to boo me. And I'm going to point that out to them. I said, you guys are literally booing me because of my name and how I look. You're the heel, not me, you know? So I ran with that for a while. But yeah, it was always like, is this interesting? Like how wrestling kind of reflects society. You know what I mean? Like it was was like, I lived in that, that, that frame where like, you know, like Muslims or Arabs or Middle Eastern, like they were the bad guy, like no matter what. But the thing is, is there's a huge difference between people from Pakistan and, and Al Qaeda. Oh yeah, yeah. I would say there's a few differences. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's. But I guess just because of the way you look, like you said, and in that time frame, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. So when 9/11 happens, how did like once again you're getting lumped in with you know with anybody that has you know dark skin and, and black hair and uh, you know it looks that certain way. Did you feel some prejudice against you? I know you mentioned it in school, but just the whole state of the country at that point in time, how did that make yeah, you and your family feel? I felt like I had to explain myself a lot. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, like, I was 16, man. Like I just want to go out and like date a girl and go to the movies. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I'm a normal 16-year-old kid from Chicago. Like, But I found myself having to defend myself. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We're, uh, my family's not like that. Oh no no no! That's not how it really is, you know. And I right. and I don't know why I took it upon myself to speak because I could have been quiet. Like, and again, no one was like targeting me. No one was like picking on. Like, I, I didn't get beat up in high school for being a Muslim. It wasn't that, but I always felt like like an outsider in that yeah. sense. But like, it it was passed off as like we are Americans. I'm an American too. Like I right just like, as much. What do you American. what do you what do you mean? And like. You know, a part of me, like, as much as it sucked, I was kind of happy that people spoke so openly in front of me. And even even if it was offensive, I'm glad they did because it made me realize, like, yo, like, 
perception and influence is a real thing even at this age like we are so easily influenced as a society as human beings like if i constantly tell you chris like that something's bad and i keep showing you something's bad but it's all one-sided like you're gonna have like yeah you know you're you're a well-traveled man you're intelligent you'll be able to form your own opinion but you're gonna have my voice in your head you go well you know ali told me about this guy being bad so i'm gonna be a little cautious you know so like yeah it is like and again it wasn't like you know my my house didn't get egged and like burglarized but like people around me did you know like the mosque that I went to got vandalized you know I've heard about kids getting beat up like so all this stuff is happening it didn't happen directly to me but I'm very self-conscious and aware of it so you know that's carried over till today like I'm very specific about how I present myself to people it seems like it's something that that Vince and WWE would really uh, take uh, find very unique and take pride in or, 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 or like having Mustafa Ali come out as a baby face. It's the exact opposite which you which you would expect within the cliched world of wrestling. But in the real yeah. world, it's the perfect time for this. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's uh, it's actually Road Dog that uh, pitched the idea because when Tool Fire had started, they did want me to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So they had the big Pakistani flag um, on my entrance and like you know obviously you, you put up any flag that's not the American flag you'll get heat you know and they weren't going to push it like oh he's a quote unquote you know evil foreigner but they were pushing the the, Ameri- the anti-American agenda right? Um, but very like you know subtly and uh, you know I was kind of like oh, I don't want to do this so they said, oh, go ahead and do your like introduction promo package you can say whatever you want so I was like okay I'm going to use that trick I did from the indies where I make the crowd the bad guy, not me. So my first line in WWE ever is, my name is Mustafa Ali, and you've already made up your mind about me. I remember that. Yeah, and everyone, like, I see the camera guy look at each other, and, like, and you know, the producer goes like, oh, like, wh- where are you going with this? I was like, this is who I am, man. I was like, I'm not wearing some sheet over my head. <laughs> I'm not speaking in a foreign language. My name is Mustafa Ali, and you, you've already made up your mind about me. What does it say about you? So obviously, you know, like Road Dog LMC, and then um, the next, so I had one match as a bad guy, and then immediately they turned me into a good guy because they saw this promo. So Road Dog pulls me aside, and he's like, man, like, you're right. Like, we, why do we have to make you the bad guy? Why don't, you know, you have this great move set. He's like, you know, I think we can, like, mold it and, you know, you know, make it fit the WWE style. But, like, yeah, we're going to run with you as a baby, and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I was all for it, you know? Like, I was like, yeah, dude, like, I fully believe I can do it, you know? And, uh here we are two years later, huh? <laughs> no kidding. T- tell me a little bit more like when you guys first came in with 205 Live because it was the same thing when um, there's a lot of examples when all the WCW guys came in at once, when all okay. of the uh, women, there's the women's revolution, there was a whole bunch of new women that came in and then 205 Live guys. It's hard when if just one person comes out, you can build the character, you can get to know them. But when there's 10, 15, 20 guys coming yeah. out all at once in this weird time slot, how was that for you guys, you know, from the start all the way until you basically got moved in your time slot? Yeah, I, I always wonder, like, how upset, like, the like the old timers are that the locker room keeps getting, like, more and more crowded. You know what I mean? Like, all these, there's 15 cruiserweights in here at one time. Who are these guys? You know, like, right. we're all huddled up in a corner, like, bags on top of bags so that we can give the guys their space and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, like, we, we talked about, like, I felt like the biggest problem was the time slot when 205 was shot. The second biggest problem was we're not only building, like, brand-new superstars – we're doing a bunch of them at once and we're trying to build a brand. 
Mm-hmm. So it's one thing, you know, if you want to make Cedric Alexander in one night, what do you do? You you have him come out and have him answer Seth Rollins, uh, you know, open challenge. And they have a crazy match for 20 minutes and people are invested because they care about Seth. And now Cedric shows he can hang with Seth and now Cedric is made. But now Cedric has to go out with me, uh, who they don't know, and they barely know him. And now we're going out after SmackDown. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was so, it's, it's one thing, it, it, there's difficult, there's difficulty in building a superstar, but then imagine trying to build multiple superstars and a brand mm-hmm. at the same time. I like, it's, 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 to me, it's not a fair comparison at all. Uh, we, 205, you know, always gets compared to NXT. They go, you know, what's the difference between NXT and 205? The NXT, like, is doing great with, NXT has a platform and an established brand that took almost a decade to establish. Like NXT isn't new. It's been around for a very long time. Like Daniel Bryan was in NXT at one point. You know what I mean? Like when it was on a, like a, on, on, on a, like when they do the, the tryout stuff and the competitions and stuff like that, like David Otunga was on and stuff like that. So it's not like this brand new hot brand that just popped up. Like NXT has been around for quite a while. And then they brought in all these international stars to help, build this brand 205 got none of that you know what i mean like it's all like these you know uh guys from the independent scenes the, the most well-known guy on our roster is brian kendrick and like obviously we know how great he is but like he'll be the first one to tell you like he's not he's not seth rollins level as far as popularity right um so like that was that was our big thing we're like man like we're 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 trying to build each other and a brand at the same time and this is like this is hard like we have to get them to care. So, um, you know, kudos to those guys. Like they're still doing it. Like I'm still helping out when I can, but like it, it, we had to take it upon ourselves to like do our own promos and our own backstage things and kind of find our own voice. And like, how can we, how can we leverage this platform? Even though obviously it's still a huge opportunity, but we're not getting the full scope of everything that WWE can give us. So like, we've got to turn heads one way or another. And there have been a few guys that kind of have stood out a little bit. I, I think back, uh, I mean, when Rich Swan was there with his entrance, I'm thinking about Drew Gulak with uh, his whole kind of political thing. Yeah. Um, so there have been some guys that have stood out. Were the guys uh, happy for you when you told them or when they did they watch your match? Were you getting feedback from the boys when you came back? Yeah, through? yeah. Man, it's like, I mean, we like – you know, we talked about how hard it is performing on 205, and I believe that difficulty and that, like, that just that grind and, you know, the, the frustration that comes with it, it made us all get, like, really close really quickly, you know? Because, like, we're like, okay, we have to stick together to, to make this work. Like, you know, when we first, when everyone first got there, it was all everyone's, you know, competing and, you know, all for themselves. Like, we learned very quickly, like, we got to watch each other's backs. We got to protect each other. Like, this is the only way it's going to work. Um, when, when the, when the match with Brian happened, yeah, I, the, the, the first thing that happened was I came backstage and they were all standing there and they had watched the entire match and it was like, all oh, congrats. And, and like, I was like, man, like I'm getting like feedback from Vince. I'm getting feedback from Brian, like AJ, like, uh, you know, I've looked up to guys like Jeff Hardy and like Ray Mysterio my entire life, you know? And like, they're giving like, you know, giving me props and like, Oh man, you belong here. And so but like all of that meant the world, but like to come back and see like, you know, your brothers in arms, like the guys right. that, you know, you were in the trenches with, they're standing there and they're all genuinely happy for you. 
like, dude, that, that was heavy. It was a very heavy moment for me. I was like, this is, this, this meant the most, this, this, like, and then, um, Jack, uh, Jack Allard showed me a photo after the fact of them. They're literally, uh, the WWE ended up taking a photo or Jack took a photo. I'm not sure, but they took a photo of all of them, like huddle around the monitor backstage by gorilla watching the entire match. And I was like, man, like, that's like, you know, that, that's when you kind of know, like, you know, there's something special there. Like all these guys are like rooting for you. So yeah, man, that meant the most, like out of everything, as wild as that night was like that meant the most. Having the respect of your peers means, you know, there's one thing having the fans respect you, but the peers respecting you is almost, uh, if not more important. Yeah, definitely. Like, what, what, like, what greater adulation, you know, can you get that someone that gets it, you know, someone that That's knows right. how difficult this is, they appreciate you or, or what you're able to do. And, 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 and yeah, man, like that's the highest compliment you can get. What was, uh, what was Vince's advice and, and feedback to you? You know, and, and, and the thing that blew me away was this is, and it's just some small things, you know, like Vince has always been very like, you know, positive feedback. I've actually went and met with him a few times to kind of like introduce myself and like what I represent, like this conversation we're having right now. Like, Hey, like, I just want you to let you know, this is my background. This is, this is what I think is cool. This is how I think the company can leverage me. So, you know, he's, he's, I've talked to him before, but this was the first time he gave me very specific direction on how he thought. I could make money in WWE and mm. I, you know, I came back and you know, he gave me feedback about the promo and this and that. And he goes, the one thing I wish you would have changed. And he's like, you got to remember a guy like you, you're always, always fighting from under because you have this rare quality to get actual empathy from the crowd. Mm. He goes, that's so hard nowadays. Nowadays people are just like, Oh, whatever. He goes, you, I feel like you have the ability to actually make people go, man, he's really taking the beating. Hmm. He's like, I, he's like, I, he goes, that's where you're going to make your money. He goes, you're always, always fighting. And he's like, kind of like pointing at my chest when he's saying that. He goes, that's how you're going to make your money. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap. Like, and it's crystal clear direction now. You know what I mean? Like, this right. is what he, what he sees me as. I'm like, okay, okay yeah, I, I, can, I can do that, boss. And he's like, all right, good job. And, you know, that was, that was it. You know, it was very, very quick, obviously. But I was like, man, like, that was the most like clear like this is what I want from you that I've gotten from him. Okay, <laughs> then that's what you're gonna get, you know. Well, but that's but like you said, that's direct uh, orders, not just yeah. uh, not just a random like. Uh, well, just work hard and grab the brass ring and yeah, blah, yeah, blah, 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 blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, you guys, you guys really worked hard. Thank you, thank you. You know, like yeah, and that, and that we've gotten that before. We came back and go, oh guys, thanks for working really hard. I appreciate that. Thanks. And, you know, he's right back to the monitor. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but this was like stand up in my – look me in the eye. This is what I want. This is what yes. I see you as. I was like, okay, I've got, a, like you said, like a direct order. Like, all right. That's and that's – yeah, and, that, and that's very valuable. You know, that's currency right there. Yep. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons – all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Let's talk about uh, about your finish. I remember when you first came in, that was the move where I was like, you know, so many guys doing all these great things. And that was the one that... I remember when I first saw, saw Rey Mysterio uh, when I was in Japan. You, you see the Japanese magazines, 
and it would show you photo by photo of what he was doing. And sometimes yeah. I couldn't comprehend, like, what the hell, like, what, what is he doing? And that's the same thing with your finish. When you first did it, I was like, what, like, what, did, how is that even possible? What is that? <laughs> Where did you come up with that idea? Is that a diving move or what the hell is it? Man, uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not even sure, like, what the initial idea was. I, I was. I was just doing the 450 splash initially, you know. I'd go to the top rope and do it for, and, you know, like, there's different variations of it, obviously. Right. But um, a front flip I into remember, a splash, yeah. Yeah, and I remember initially thinking, like, man, like you know, obviously, like I said, growing up, I was a huge Jeff Hardy fan. And I remember initially thinking, I was like, I wonder if it's possible to do Jeff Hardy's Swanton Bomb, but going backwards. Like I would jump backwards and do a Swanton Bomb. Hold on, I'm trying so to actually. Oh, like if you start, like a like a start reverse. almost looking like you're gonna do like a moonsault, yeah, yeah. but you jump back and then in. So uh, okay. again, I was like 16, 17, and you think you're indestructible. Of course, and, you know. So I, yeah. you know I, and I put out this crash pad. You know, like I'm messing with it, I'm messing with it, and for whatever reason, I just jumped too hard one time. And as I went to kind of like do the swan town, like the roll, I just ended up like doing a full rotation. I was like, what? And I landed on my on my stomach in my face, <laughs> um, and everyone's like, you just this is a backwards 450. And I was like, what? Like, you just did a backwards 450. It's like. Oh, that was that. You know, obviously, at sixteen at the time, I was like, "Oh, that was easy." So I climb up and I do it again, and then I do it again. I was like, "Like, dude, that's that's a finish. That's a backwards four fifty, you know." And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the business with this move, you know? No one's ever done this." You know, eventually you get on YouTube and you find out, like, you know, someone in Japan's already done it, or you know, someone in Mexico's already done it. You're like, "All right, whatever." But yeah, like that's how I stuck with it. Um, so I was doing it for a while. Um, when I came up to WWE. I hadn't been using the move as much and, you know, obviously cause I was a heel. So I was like, all right, I'm right. Gonna, you know, you know, I'm going to do this move. And when I, when they made that switch right away, they go, all right, we're going to be a baby. I was like, I haven't worked baby face in like five years. I'm like, what, what am I doing? I'm, doing? I'm trying to come up with a move. And uh, Adam Pierce, uh, he's like, don't you, didn't you used to do that thing, that backwards thing? And I was like, Oh no, he remembers. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I haven't done it in a while. He's like, well, we can get a crash pad out here. You can try it right now. I was like, and everyone like is looking, you know, like Road Dogs looking, Hunter's looking, Michael Hayes is looking. I was like, oh man, I was like, I haven't done this move in five years. I was like, yeah, 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 no problem, no problem. And so they bring out the crash pad. I was like, oh man, you better not botch this, you know. Right. So I was like, go ahead, and they go, yeah, that's your finisher now. Like, okay, cool. So yeah, and um, yeah, eventually, like now we dub it the 054, 450 backwards, obviously. And yeah, nice. it's 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 cool, man. Like I I feel like it's a move that. You know, because uh, I, I started working the SmackDown Live events, and like um, a, a lot of the guys are giving me like a lot of feedback, and they're all they're saying people are still trying to process what you just did. Right. You know what I mean? They're like, man, like you stand up there, like, oh, this is cool, and then I, I, you know, I do the move, and then there's this impact, and there's like this delayed reaction before they like erupt, and they go, people are literally like, what did he do? Wow, and then there's you know it's not you know when Jeff does a swanton they they hear it and they pop right away you know there's always this like awkward one or two second you know um, delay in reaction and I, and I couldn't figure out what it was and they're like we just think of this people just processing what you're doing and I was like oh okay well, it's, it's not, normal it's, it's, to me now you know it's not a big deal to me but, to but you, someone but sees it, it for the first time like what did that guy just do it doesn't make sense like I said like visually okay you talk about a swanton. 
the guy jumps forward, lands on his back. You talk about a moonsault, the guy jumps backwards, lands on his stomach. I get that. Yeah. With yours, like I said, it's one of those ones, like those old Rey Mysterio moves where I just can't comprehend what the hell just happened. Yeah. So I can totally get yeah. that. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Just, just jump and tuck. <laughs> it's one of those ones, if I was taking that from you, like when I used to work with Two Cold Scorpio, because Scorpio would do like a front flip into a leg drop or, you know, yeah, shooting yeah. star press. The Scorpio was about 250 pounds, like super yeah. agile. But I would just close my eyes and hope for the best. Like he's going to hit me either way. And I don't really know how I can adjust with all these. Yeah, just, just put me where you need me, man. Just put me where you need me. Exactly, exactly. But that's what happened when you had the match with Daniel Bryan. You kind of did hit him with your knees. Yeah, yeah. And dude, that was like, that was a freak out. So that was uh, the tag match. And there's no uh, explanation behind it other than like it just, you know, like no one bats a hundred, man. Like yeah. he was, it wasn't out of position. It wasn't like we were rushing on time, you know, cause SmackDown has to be off. It was none of that. And I was, you know, obviously when it happened, like you could, uh, you know, anyone <laughs> that could see, could see that I was like, Holy I just landed on, you know, his face. Uh, luckily when we came back, you know, we found out it was his chin. Like, I mean, still, you, you know, you can knock someone out easily with that way, but it's almost like as it happened, like you just see me kind of like, I'm trying to like make myself even lighter, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like, of course. So that I don't squish him. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, I got him, and dude, I felt, you know, one, you're thinking like, oh, did I just, you know, mess up the WWE champion? And like, you know, heat. And what's gonna happen? This is my first night. <laughs> there goes my push. Um, what do I, yeah. yeah, there goes my push. You know, like whatever. And you're, you're freaking out, and it was, uh, it was extra stressful because it was a night that we were, we were taping the second SmackDown for Christmas, so mm. I, I had a match right after that. Oh, so wow. I'm trying to get mentally ready for that. And that the finish was that move again, you know? So now you're talking about like, you know, playing games with your mind. You're like, Oh, am I, am I going to, you know, land on CN on this one too? And, you know, luckily I got some good brothers back there. that are like, you know, giving me a pep talk, like, yo, get your, get your head in the game. He's fine. This and that. And, you know, literally they checked him. Brian was fine. He came, assured me he was fine. Obviously I'm profusely apologizing that it happened. And, you know, everyone talked to me. They go, you, you realize, People like get knocked out throwing kicks. People yeah. get knocked out throwing punches. You're doing a backwards 450, and you clipped the dude, and you didn't even hurt him. You just clipped him. You know, it looked nasty, but you clipped him. Like relax. But obviously, to me, it was the end of the world. You know, like oh my god, like you know this and that. Um, thankfully, you know, he wasn't injured. Uh, thankfully, that you know nothing came of it as far as like you know backlash for me. But, like, you know, obviously, like, some people are going to nitpick it. Like, oh, he's, he's unsafe. I was like, I've been wrestling 16 years, and I landed, and yeah, I, I need a guy in the face accidentally. It, it was, and, it, and it wasn't, like, sloppy. It, was, it just happened. And I can't explain why. It was, I thought the jump was good. I thought the rotation was good. I thought his positioning was good. It was, it was just off, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a high-risk maneuver. I mean, that's not a cliche. Hey, look at that. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that's really what it is. And that, like you said, that yeah, happens. Man. With so and, many things I, that we I was do. talking to I was talking to Jack about it one time. He's like, you know, like wrestling is really unique in the sense that like you watch a professional boxer, they don't land every punch. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch baseball players, they they don't hit every ball. You know, like we're we're why are we expected that every time we do something, it's got to be perfect and precise? And like it's kind of like the nature of the the beast, I guess. But like, yeah, man, it's, it was it was a freak accident yeah. and, and luckily it wasn't more than anything that you know I just clipped him and rocked him for a second but like you know luckily that's all it was but yeah you know you gotta own up to it and, and I did and I apologize profusely for, uh, for it you know 
Well, like 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 you said, I mean, we're all in this together, and there's accidents and there's stiff shots, and the accidents are cool. The stiff shots are the ones where you're like, what the hell? But um, yeah. but let let's talk a little bit. Speaking of shots, uh, segue when before you got into wrestling, your job was pretty impressive yeah. even before that. What a what a great segue though. That was, <laughs> that was very well done. Yeah. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, I was actually uh, one of the boys in blue. I was a, I was a police officer. Uh, a Chicago for about cop. Four years. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about dodging some shots there. And you know, like uh, before the internet goes wild. Oh, Mustafa used to be a cop. I hate cops. I I get it. There's a lot of people. And there's a lot of distrust with law enforcement. And that in itself is one of the primary reasons that I became a cop. Mm. Um, not to like get on my soapbox here, but I'm a firm believer in like, if you really believe that something needs to change, you got to change it from right. Work. That's a good point. You yeah. have to. And I was like, man, um, not that I got like in trouble with the law, but I've had bad experiences with cops too, just being like, Man, that guy was an a-hole for, like, no reason. Like, total abuse of power, talking down to us, like, you know, um, just being a bully. And I, you know, and then, it, you know, you, you watch, obviously, you watch the news and you see all these terrible things happening. Young people, you know, getting shot and killed over nothing. And you, you know, these body cam investigations about police abusing power and planning evidence. I was like, this is, this is terrible. And I've always had a sense in, 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 in like, you know, you kind of just, you're attracted towards certain things. I was like, man, like, I love the idea of like, uh, serving the people or like justice or like whatever. Uh, my name, my, my real name is Adil Alam and it literally translates to one who serves justice. Hmm. <laughs> um, so, and, and I didn't grow up like, Oh, I want to be a cop when I grew up. I always wanted to be, you know, a wrestler when I wanted to grow up, but I was always like, man, that, that's a cool job. Like being a cop, like saving someone's life and being there for like, that's cool. You know, that's admirable. It's respectable. So I've always had that like uh, attraction to it, I guess. And you know, one thing leads to another, and I'm working, uh, you know, a marketing job. I, you know, went to school for marketing, and you know, doing the indie thing, not really thinking WWE or any, you know, thing big and wrestling's gonna happen. So mm -hmm. you know, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. You know, my buddy uh, uh, who also used to wrestle, uh, he becomes a cop, and he's telling me all these stories about like how he's helping people and how it's good uh, pay and the insurance and a pension and you know this and that and then obviously like the cool stuff too that comes with it and i was like you know i'm just gonna give it a shot and um you know after testing for a little while i eventually landed yeah i landed a spot and i went in with the sole intention i was like man i i want to prove that like good people can be cops like i want to actually be there for the people and um you know it it, it was uh it was a, obviously it was a learning experience because I went into it as a civilian, seeing how bad the police are, hmm. but now I have the unique perspective of seeing both sides. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, I have first-hand experience about how dangerous and how unpredictable this job is and why some cops might be a little bit on the edge when dealing with people they don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I again, I was only a cop for four years, and I can count at least – three or four times where I knew someone was actively going to try to kill me, you know? Wow. Uh, and that's like, you, you think about this stuff and it's like, man, this is, imagine the cop that's been on the job for 20 years. How many times do you think he's been, you know, he's thought someone's tried to kill him. Well, that's know? the thing. Every single person you approach, you have to approach them as a, a threat. Yeah. And it's, 
so it, it's a it's a unique situation because I, I I do feel like there's a problem in law enforcement and how they treat citizens. So I believe, and this is just from my experience, you know, and from my town, I believe the officer should take the the extra step to try to to try to uh, diffuse a situation before there is one. Right. So obviously, if you're if I'm pulling over someone that's wanted for murder, there's nothing I can do. That's going to be a situation. What happens often is uh, no one wants to get pulled over. No one wants to deal with the police, especially especially when they feel like they're being profiled. So if I'm pulling someone over and they feel this cop is only pulling me over because of my skin color, there's already a problem. So I, I, I took the extra step that when I would you know, interact with people, I would always try to diffuse the situation by immediately throwing out that, that, that mindset that they have. So I would knock on the window and they would lower the window and they're expecting me to say, sir, I'm so-and-so with this department. I need to see your license and insurance or, Hey, you were speeding or do you have any idea how fast you're going? This is what they're expecting. Right. The first question I ask is, excuse me, sir, is everything okay? Hmm. And they, what do you, what do you mean? Is everything okay? Uh, man, I saw you flying like a bat out of hell down the highway there. Is everything okay? I just want to make sure you're good. I, I don't know if you have an emergency or anything like that. And the guy's like, no, everything's fine, officer. I'm like, oh, good, man. I just want to make sure you're cool. Hey, man, you mind if I just grab your license and insurance real quick? I just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've already diffused the situation because the guy's like, oh, this guy was just checking on me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just a little trick. But then, obviously, there's, there's situations where, like, you approach the car and it's already the guy's getting on the car, you know? So it's, uh, you try to, you know, I always went in the mentality of let me always try to, and that, that's the reputation I end up getting as a cop. They're like, if he shows up, he's going to talk, like, not not talk people off the ledge, like, literally, but, like, I always show up to, like, all right, this is about to be a fight. All right, let's all calm down. Let's talk about it. You just try to relate with people, man. Like, people make mistakes. People people are out there hurting for money, you know, or mm-hmm. people have drug and alcohol problems. Like, you got to come down to the level and show them that you care. And, you know, how, how many times, you know, like, I, I, I've literally got into, like, and, you know, we're taking the guy in custody, and this guy's just throwing fists. He's landing a few. We had, we're actively fighting, and you know, by the time we get cuffs on him, I'm still calling him sir. Mm-hmm. I'm asking him if he needs medical attention. We process him. We book him up, and you know, right before he's getting transferred, he's like, "Hey, man, I owe you an apology." He's like, "You treated me with nothing but respect this entire time." Because I just want to say I'm sorry, and, and you know, and apologize to me. So it's like you, you, people people will notice that. So if, if 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 police officers and cops have that mindset of like, hey, we're gonna try to defuse situations, we're gonna try to show people that we actually care, I think it'll resonate, you know. But obviously that can't be every single time because you know, like I said, I was a cop for four years and I can count at least three or four times when someone's like, as soon as they saw me, okay, this guy's trying to kill me. Like actually taking shots at you, or how were they trying to kill you? Yeah, so like the the, the wild one was uh, I pulled over a vehicle, and you know when you when you when you pull over a car and you're running the license plate, the the vehicle owner information you know uh, uh, comes up and dispatch gives you the information, you know how tall this person is, what their name is, if they have any warrants, you know their their license status and whatnot. So I'm pulling over a car that's driving in the middle of the night with no headlights on, or it had one headlight, something like that, you know. Um, and it, and as I'm walking up to the vehicle, dispatch is telling me, they go, hey, the registered owner for this vehicle uh, has a warrant uh, for traffic, and he has a suspended driver's license. Not a big deal. It's, mm-hmm. you know, hey, hey, man, you're not supposed to be driving. So as I'm walking up to the car on the driver's side, I just get that, that spidey sense, man. Something's not right. You know, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. And as I'm approaching the vehicle, I have my flashlight, 
And, uh, you know, one of the tricks that cops do, they, they put the flashlight right in the rear view mirror or the side mirror so that the driver can't see you approaching. So I flashed my uh, flashlight into this guy's side mirror, and his eyes do not budge. Hmm. He is staring directly into this mirror, directly at me, and he's not blinking, he's not moving, and just the creepiest sense came up to me. I was like, his eyes are speaking very bad intentions, and I don't know how or why. He's not doing anything. His hands are on the steering wheel. He's not shouting. He's not moving. I was like, something ain't right, you know? Mm-hmm. So I uh, I get on the radio. I said, hey, go ahead and send me a second police officer. Um, you know, and, you know, it was a smaller town, so another officer shows up, you know, rather quickly. You know, and uh, I'm staring at this driver. A second unit shows up. So the second cop is approaching from the passenger side, and he's looking at me like, hey, like, what do you got? What's up? What's wrong? And I'm just shaking my head like, some, like he, without saying something, he knows that I'm trying to say something ain't right, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, the second cop starts approaching from the passenger side as I approach from the driver's side. Right when, it, you know, the guy starts cracking his window with his left hand, and then his left hand goes down to his side. I stop on the driver's side, right behind his window. So I didn't poke my head through the window. And right when I stop, my partner uh, steps up to the passenger side and he flashes the light to the window. This guy was holding a butcher knife. Oh my gosh. A, a, a huge butcher knife, I'd say at least 12 inches of blade in his left hand and he had a position right under the window. So had I poked my head in, you know, to talk to him or he got close to it, all he had to do was raise his hand. And who knows what happened to me? So obviously my partner yells out, you know, that he's got he's got a knife, you know. So obviously we have to draw our guns at this point and take this guy into custody. We, you know, we get this guy into custody. I was like, man, this guy tried to like stab me in the face over a suspended driver's license and a warrant. No, that's not the case. That's not his car. That's his brother's car that he was driving. This guy was wanted for um, uh, he beat his wife so, from another state. He beat his wife so bad that she was in a medically induced coma. And he was fleeing. So he was wanted for, like, aggravated felony battery. Oh, my gosh. Um, so he was going to jail, jail. You know what I mean? Like, so he was, right. you know, so to him, this was worth it. And, you know, that's just, like, one instance of, like, you know, how do I diffuse that situation? What could I have possibly done other than, like, you know, this guy's got a knife and he's ready to take a shot at me, obviously. So, uh, yeah, and that was, like, my, like, you know, like, within my first year on the job. So, obviously, <laughs> you know, like. I'm working this midnight shift and like that was the beginning of the shift and I'm like sitting there. I was like, is this how it's going to be every night? You know? But uh, yeah, man, that was, that was, that was a scary one. Did the uh, police department know that you were wrestling still as well on the weekends? Or oh whatever? man. Yeah. And when they found out they weren't too happy. So uh, obviously, you know, rest, uh, wrestling and the, uh, the police were the kind of, kind of identical in the sense of like, you know, the young rookie comes in and all the vets give him a hard time. And they kind of rib him and test him out. And, you know, you got to earn your keep, you know, you, right, you clean sure. up the place afterwards. Yeah. It's the same, the same deal over here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I came in, I was, I was, you know, the rookie. So, you know, boys want to go out afterwards. I would buy them drinks or like, you know, I clean up the locker room, all this stuff. So I would show up to a roll call, you know, the, before you start your shift, you all sit around the table, roll call. The sergeant tells you what, needs to get done and you know who's doing a bad job who's doing a good job and you go about your deal so i would show up to roll call and i would always show up like if i had to be there at 11 i would show up at like 10 59 with like 17 seconds left and i'd come running and i'd sit down and my sergeant looks at me and you know you're supposed to be presentable and clean and you know i'm, I'm wearing, and he's like why are you sweating and he's like oh so, sorry sorry 
He's like, why do you always show up with like new scratches on your faces, uh, on your face? And like, why do you have like, why are your knuckles all bruised up? And I was like, ah. Uh. So I told those guys that I'm learning how to box. And they're like, man, you must be like a really bad boxer because like every week you're showing up with like a new, you know, you know, you got a little gimmick here, a little thing, you know. And I and the thing was, I was doing indie shows, you know, and I would try to be like the first or second match. I'd do the match, jump in my car, drive the 45 minutes to the police department, put my stuff on, and run up for roll call because you know indie shows start around like eight o'clock, seven thirty, something like that. So I had to make it, you know, in that time span. So, you know, sometimes I didn't even get to shower, man. I literally had to throw my stuff on and go to work. <laughs> Eventually, what happened is the Cruiserweight Classic happened. Right. And a dispatcher was watching it. And they go, wait a minute. I I, I know that guy. So she takes a <laughs> picture from her TV and sends it to my sergeant. So the next day at roll call, I show up. He's like, do you care to explain this? And I was like, oh, no. Oh. Secret's out. So, I mean, they weren't too thrilled about it because the issue was, like, if I got hurt doing that, it affect my job, obviously, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a bunch of red tape about it. And eventually they asked me like, Hey, like, you know, are you, you know, is it secondary employment? Like, it became a whole deal, but eventually, you know, they, they couldn't tell me not to do it because it was outside of that. But I understand their concern about like, Hey, you know, if you get hurt doing that, like it's going to affect your job, obviously. So, so were you, that's all they wanted to know. Were you a police officer until you basically got signed by the WWE? Yeah, yeah, and uh, unfortunately, um, the way I left, the, it was the only job that I, I quit, you mm. know, without giving uh, notice, and the reason wasn't because, like, oh, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm going to WWE, see you later, suckers. The reason I quit is because this mentality that I had about being a good police officer and, um, you know, treating people with respect, my, you know, a, a lot of the police officers gave me props for it, but, like, the higher, higher ups that are, like, old school kind of like, you know, um, stuck in their ways, I guess is a nice way to say it, weren't so receptive to right. it. Like one example is uh, I, I saw something on the news about a, a young man that got pulled over and got into an altercation with an officer and ended up dying uh, because the officer shot him for whatever reason. I don't know how, I don't know how the, the altercation escalated that quickly, but at the end of the day, the, the young man died over a traffic warrant, a mm. traffic warrant. He yeah. had missed a court date and had a warrant. So at the end of the day, this kid dies because he, he, he was speeding one day and didn't go to a court date. Mm -hmm. That's why he died. So I was like, man, Brutal, this is so right? messed up. Yeah. And I'm trying to always, you know, like my, my mindset now is I always try to understand how people think. Like, why do they, at the end of the day, like, man, I would be scared too if someone pulled me over and they go, hey, you have a warrant. You're going to jail and I'm going to tow your car and it's going to cost a thousand, like, People have anxiety. People don't trust it. Like, I always try to think this way. I was like, man, like, how do we de-escalate the situation over something so silly as a traffic warrant? And we had this huge database. Police departments have this database where they can look up your name and they can find your address and your phone number and your relatives and all this stuff. And I was like, man, like, everyone doesn't have the privilege or, you know, the, the insight to, like, always, you know, make it to, to court. Like sometimes they just miss their court date because they had to suddenly move or something happens or, or whatever. I said, what if there's a way to like just reach out to people and remind them like, Hey, you, you missed your court date. You have a warrant now. And then the other layer of it, I was like, man, like I'm looking at this warrant list and it's all young people. It's all young, uh, males and females, like 19, 20, 24, like, and I'm looking up the address. And I'm like, Oh, they still live at home. I was like, I'm just going to call their mom. 
Because if mom finds out, you know, I, I call mom. I go, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, I'm I'm officer along with this uh, police department. I just want to let you know your son has a has a warrant for his arrest. <laughs> right. Um, and she freaks out. She goes, what do you mean? And, and, you know, I'm the bad guy. But she's like, what do you mean he has a warrant? But I go, hey, and this is how you turn the tables in the sense of like, you know, you de-escalate the situation. I go, ma'am, I don't want him getting pulled over on the street and having, you know, have him freak out about it. I'd rather you bring him to the police station so we can just process him and give him a new court date. And that way, you know, you know your son's safe and we'll get away. You, you bring him to the police station and I promise you I'll walk him right back out to you. So now mom goes, uh, like, I'm not going to have my child show up on the news. I'm going to bring him to the police station, deal with this, and we're going to go back home. You know, so like, it's, it's just a way of like thinking outside the box. Like, okay, I know traditionally police officers are supposed to go out there and find these guys. Like, why don't just call them? Hey, do, do you know you have a warrant? No, I didn't know I have a warrant. Yeah, man, you got a warrant. So instead of getting, you know, pulled over and getting your car towed and right. paying all these fines and bills, just, just come in and we'll give you a new court date. Oh, okay. So what happened was I was doing this and like the chief actually made fun of me about it. Hmm. And, I, and I thought it was a brilliant idea. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being smart about it. I'm de-escalating situations. Like people are like people are turning themselves in. And he goes, huh, back in my day, you know, we'd, we'd go out there, we'd grab them all. We don't have to call their moms. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, so yeah. one thing, you know, obviously, and I had choice words back to him about it. I was like, well, back in your day, you know, you treated people a certain way and that this is not cool. So ever since that, me and this guy, we just never got along. We just saw it. I, and I, I don't wish to talk bad on anybody, but he's not someone that I, you know, uh, I, whose opinion I value very much. So when uh, the WWE came calling and you know, I found out the start date, I was like, you know what, for my own safety, rather than telling them that, hey, I'm leaving, because I felt like if I told them I was leaving, I was setting myself up, like they're going to mess with me somehow. You know, right. I was like, I'm going to do my last tour of duty. I'm going to turn in all my stuff respectfully. I'll give them all their equipment back, give them all my credentials, my badge, my, okay, put it in a nice box. On my last tour of duty, I walked into his office, put a note on it, put it on his desk, and I was gone. And that was it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> last couple questions for you, because obviously you made the right decision. You had a, a hometown show the other day, kind of in a real main event position, and I saw a clip where it looked like you grabbed your daughter out of the crowd. How was that for you to play do Chicago in, in such a huge position with your family in the crowd? Man, it's like it's kind of like the same deal when I showed up to SmackDown. They go, "Hey, you're wrestling Daniel Bryan," you know? Right. I'm like, "Oh, okay." I, I show up to Allstate Arena, you know, and. and like this is my hometown and and i'm thinking like oh maybe you know maybe i'll be the opening match maybe like i don't know what i'll have maybe it'll be something and you know they, they come out with a run sheet and they go hey you're doing miss tv let's see what the miss and then you know it's gonna turn and then it's a triple threat steel cage match for the wwe championship and i'm like what is going on like who where like when is the big rib finally gonna be revealed like, ah we were just kidding the whole time like and I'm just trying to process it. Like uh, Aiden English is a good uh, friend of mine, and he's from Chicago as well. So I like, I like run to him. I was like, "What is?" He's like, "Dude, run with the ball." He's like, "Just, just run with it." You know? He's like, "If they, if they see something in you, like, you know, he's, like, he's kind of like making slapping sense into me. Like, have some confidence about it." Right. And I was sure. like, I, like, I, like, yeah. I mean, I know when it's, when it's game time. Like, I'm gonna put my game face on him and you know and do it. But like, for a moment, you're like holy hell, this is really cool. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> you're in a cage match, and I was like, uh, yeah, you know, so, I mean, what a wild night, and like, obviously, if there's ever a, a town, you know, that, you know, you can't 
go wrong is it's Chicago because like, you're from Chicago, they got your back, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a very very cool night. But yeah, like this is the second time my uh, my daughter's been able to come to, like Allstate Arena. But uh, she she's at that point now where like she remembers everything. So that show just happened, you know, Wednesday. And, you know, before I started talking to you today, Chris, I, you know, I FaceTime here and she, she called me Baba. She goes, Hey Baba, do you remember when, and she starts talking about Allstate Arena, like this Wednesday, like, do you remember when <laughs> Becky Lynch said hi to me? And do you remember when you picked me up? And do you remember when I waved at everyone and they waved, like she's remembering this <laughs> stuff now. Great. So I was telling my wife, I was like, man, I always want her to like, you know, like, I just want her to know, like, like one, like what I see, like how cool it is to be out there. But there's, if you go back and watch the clip, uh, my wife is bringing her up to the guardrail, and if you look in my daughter's eyes, she, the way she's looking at me, man, I felt like Superman. <laughs> she's looking at yeah. me like so amazed, like that's my dad, like he's so cool. And I was like, man, like it wasn't the react, like it, it, you always got to find like the little moments that mean the most to you. And like I always tell my wife, I was like, did you, did you see her eyes? Did you see her eyes? Like she looked at me like I was King Kong, like I was the man, you know? Like <laughs> this is this is like you know he's Superman. I was like, like that's like I don't know, man. Like I came back, I was like, that's what was cool for me, you know? Like the way she looked at me that way. So uh, yeah, man, what a, what a cool moment. Something that you know hopefully she'll look on, you know, years from now, like fondly, you know. But like you know, like um, you know, even though my dad's in his hometown, it's a cool moment for him. He's like, no, let me share this with my with my right. kid, you know. Yes, right. That's so cool, man. The last question for you: What's your favorite match you've ever had, and who do you think is the most underrated on Two Hundred Five Live? Uh, favorite match I've ever had. I hope this doesn't sound like a cliche response, but I don't think I've had it yet. And the nice. reason I'm saying that is because, as you know, uh, the WWE style is so unique in the sense of uh what it really means to be a good performer Mm -hmm. so i've had like oh man this came off real well or the the story came off real well or the spot came off real well i did really well selling i don't think i've had that match that's been the perfect mixture of both and i know sammy was uh uh, sammy's name was recently uh on, on the show and you know, he always talks about how he rambles and this and that, but the best piece of advice he gave me one time, I was talking to him about a bunch of things like characters and matches, and he's like, what people don't realize here in WWE is you can go out anywhere in any company and you can have these crazy five-star matches and you can do all this stuff and you're kind of like, you don't have chains on you. He's like, the trick in WWE is to do it within this confined little box. He's like, that's the art. He goes, we're going to give you this much time and you can't go to the outside and you can't use these moves and you can't have this finish and you can't work this body part. Like, you know, you just keep chipping away, but still this needs to be awesome and you need to get a great reaction and you need to put this guy over and you need to do it in six minutes. He goes, that's the art. You know? So to me, if I'm being, you know, not, this isn't me trying to be like, Oh, humble. Like this is me just being real. Like, I don't think I'm at that point right now where I figure out the, the perfect, uh, concoction of that like what's the combination you know what's what how much is too much because sometimes my match might be too many stunts you know like oh man these guys are tearing it up but it's, you know it's a car crash or this one's like oh this one was a little slow the selling was great but it was a little slow you know like i'm trying to figure out you know what's the perfect balance so i don't think i've had my best match yet I'm, uh, obviously i'm trying each night but i'm still working on it um right uh but yeah what you know say when sammy said that i was like man it's, it's right because people don't realize like we have to make magic 
and, but we're not free to do, do whatever. Right, yeah. you know? There's a lot of, there's a lot of very, like, cool rules yeah, and restrictions of what you have to do for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's not like they're doing it to, like, mess with you. Yeah. They're doing it for the, the presentation of the show. Like, yeah. people don't, like, that's one thing I've learned now that, like, especially on 205, when I would get, like, my segment or my promo, I'd ask the writer, like, can I see, the, like, the whole run sheet, like, the entire show? Like, I want to know what's going on in everyone's matches. Mm-hmm. So I go, oh, if they're doing this, like, but what's why why are we going to get even close to that? Let's go the complete that's opposite right. direction. Yeah, you know? exactly. So like that's one thing I learned. That as far as like the most underrated on two five, like man, like the entire show is you know. Um, but if you're gonna twist my arm and pick one, I really feel like uh, it's not just because I've known him for a long time. I really think like Arya Davari is mm. severely underrated. When you look at it, like he gets it. You know what I mean? Like his look, his presentation, his he's the easiest guy I've worked with. You know, mm-hmm. but like. To me, I go. I see dollar signs on him. You know what I mean? Like me, as like being in the ring with him, I was like, he gets so much heat, and he's so good. He's like, you know, that guy that just like he's got that intensity, and he looks like he's ripping your head off. Right. But he's he's got that, and I'm always like, man, I really wish that like the writers and the producers would see that, and like him and I have gone to bat for each other a thousand times to try to like do something together. It just doesn't work out. But, like, he's finally doing something with, like, Hideo Tommy now. And I'm really hoping that they see, like, but he's good on the mic. He can work. He's got that. And I think he's the biggest, like, not even just, like, uh, like underrated. Like, like something's going to happen for him to, like, get their eyes on him. Because I really feel like if they play close attention to him, they would see what everyone else sees. Like, everyone on the roster is like, man, Arya's, like, severely underrated. Well, the thing too, now that you've kind of broken through into into SmackDown regular main event guy for the you know at the moment with getting a push, I'm sure it won't be the first because they'll know they've got a whole cachet of guys down there who are yeah. uh, underrated and ready to to do more. So, um, but dude, congratulations on everything! <laughs> and uh, like I said, man, you just never know what's going to happen, and uh, it's happened yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. And, and just keep on keep on uh, kicking ass. It's been it's been very very cool to see. Yeah, man, and, and and obviously, like, Chris, one, thank you for, you know, taking the time to, you know, let me hop on the show, but, like, if I could give one message to people out there, like, there's so many people, and, and this isn't just people, like, you know, on, on the wrestling scene, this is anybody in life, like, if you got something, man, like, chase it, like, I, I'm the same way, I didn't think it would happen, I would close my eyes, and I would see this great dream of performing at WrestleMania, and winning the championship, <laughs> and wrestling my, and then I'd open my eyes, and you know, like, uh, you know, reality was set. And I had to get to my job. I had to take care of my kids. You know, like real life gets in the way, and I get that. But like, if you close your eyes and you still see it, you got to chase it. Words to live by, man. I, I believe in that a thousand percent. So, Mustafa, congratulations, man, and uh, and uh, continued success. And we're looking forward to see what uh, what happens to you over the next few weeks, months, and years. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate Cheers, dude. It. All right, man. Have a good show tonight. Thanks. Thank you, brother. All right, thank you so much to Mustafa Ali. Uh, interesting to see what he does in the Royal Rumble. Uh, it's always good to see a new top guy break on through to the other side. Uh, and like I said, I am not going to be in the Royal Rumble because I am now officially signed with All Elite Wrestling. And I'm going to tell the whole story about that on Wednesday. Uh, Chris Jericho's journey to All Elite Wrestling. It's been a long one with lots of ups and downs and, uh, and close calls and You'll find out everything that you want to know if you're saying, why is Jericho in AEW? This is exciting. I'm excited or I, I, I don't want to 
deal with this. I want him in, in WWE. I'm going to tell you the whole story, and we're going to get it done uh, on Wednesday. Have a great weekend. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay cool, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. Oh, yeah.